0: Volume 2, Chapter 15 of Vixen. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Candace Stalick, Dallas, Texas. Vixen by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. Volume 2, Chapter 15 a midsummer night's dream they were all back at the abbey house again early in june and vixen breathed more freely in her sweet native air how dear how doubly beautiful everything seemed to her after even so brief an exile but it was a grief to have missed the apple bloom and the bluebells the woods were putting on their ripe summer beauty the beeches had lost the first freshness of their tender green; the amber glory of the young oak leaves was over. The last of the primroses had paled and faded among the spreading bracken. Masses of snowing hawthorn bloom gleamed white amidst the woodland shadows. Bean fields in full bloom filled the air with delicate odors. The summer winds swept across the long lush grass in the meadows beautiful with ever-varying lights and shadows families of sturdy black piglings were grubbing on the waste turf beside every road and the forest fly was getting strong upon the wing the depths of marked ash were dark at noontide under the roof of foliage Vixen reveled in the summer weather. She was out from morning till evening, on foot or on horseback, sketching or reading a novel in some solitary corner of the woods with Argus for her companion and guardian. It was an idle, purposeless existence for a young woman to lead, no doubt. But Violet Tempest knew of no better thing that life offered her to do neither her mother nor captain Win Stanley interfered with her liberty the captain had his own occupations and amusements and his wife was given up to frivolities which left no room in her mind for anxiety about her only daughter so long as violet looked fresh and pretty at the breakfast-table and was nicely dressed in the evening mrs winstanley thought that all was well or at least as well as it ever could be with a girl who had been so besotted as to refuse a wealthy young nobleman. So Vixen went on her way, and nobody cared. She seemed to have a passion for solitude, and avoided even her old friends, the Scobles, who had made themselves odious by their championship of Lord Mallow. The London season was at its height when the Winstanleys went back to Hampshire, the Dovedells were to be at Kensington till the beginning of July, with Mr. vaudrey in attendance upon them. He had rooms in erbury Street and had assumed an urban air which, in Vixen's opinion, made him execrable. I can't tell you how hateful you look in lavender gloves and a high hat, she said to him one day in Clark Street. I dare say I look more natural dressed like a gamekeeper, he answered lightly. I was born so as for the high hat you can't hate it more than i do and i have always considered gloves a foolishness on a level with pigtails and hair powder vixen had been wandering in her old haunts for something less than a fortnight when on one especially fine morning she mounted Arion directly after breakfast and started on one of her rambles with the faithful bates in attendance to open gates or to pull her out of bogs if needful upon this point mrs winstanley was strict violet might ride when and where she pleased since these meanderings in the forest were so great a pleasure to her but she must never ride without a groom old bates liked the duty he adored his mistress and had spent the greater part of his life in the saddle there was no more enjoyable kind of idleness possible for him than to jog along in the sunshine on one of the captain's old hunters called upon for no greater exertion than to flick an occasional fly off his horse's haunch or to bend down and hook open the gate of a plantation with his stout hunting crop. Bates had many a brief snatch of slumber in those warm enclosures where the air was heavy with the scent of the pines and the buzzing of summer flies made a perpetual lullaby there was a delicious sense of repose in such a sleep but it was not quite so pleasant to be jerked suddenly into the waking world by a savage plunge of the aggravated hunter's hind legs goaded to madness by a lively specimen of the forest fly on this particular morning vixen was in a thoughtful mood and Arion was lazy she let him walk at a leisurely pace under the beeches of gretman wood and through the quiet paths of the new park plantations he came slowly out into queen's bower tossing his delicate head and sniffing the summer air the streamlets were ripping gaily in the noontide sun far off on the yellow common a solitary angler was whipping the stream quite an unusual figure in the lonely landscape a delicious slumberous quiet reigned over all the scene vixen was lost in thought bates was dreaming when a horse's hoofs came up stealthily beside arian and a manly voice startled the sultry stillness i've got rid of the high hat for this year and i'm my own man again said the voice and then a strong brown hand was laid upon vixen's glove and swallowed up her slender fingers in its warm grasp when did you come back she asked as soon as their friendly greetings were over and arian had reconciled himself to the companionship of mr vaudrey's hack late last night and have the duchess and her people come back to ashbourne the duchess and her people meaning mabel have engagements six deep for the next month breakfast lawn parties music art science horticulture dancing archery every form of laborious amusement that the genius of man has invented one of our modern sages has said that life would be tolerable but for its amusements i am of that wise man's opinion fashionable festivities are my aversion so i told mabel frankly that i found my good spirits being crushed out of me by the weight of too much pleasure and that i must come home to look after my farm the dear old duke recognized that duty immediately and gave me all sorts of messages and admonitions for his bailiff and you are really free to do what you like for a month exclaimed vixen naively poor rory how glad you must be My liberty is of even greater extent. I am free till the middle of August, when I am to join the Dovedales in Scotland. Later, I suppose, the Duke will go to Baden, or to some newly discovered fountain in the Black Forest. He could not exist for a twelfth month without German waters. And after that there will be a wedding, I suppose, said Violet. She felt as if called upon to say something of this kind she wanted rory to know that she recognized his position as an engaged man she hated talking about the business but she felt somehow that this was incumbent upon her i suppose so answered rory a man must be married once in his life the sooner he gets the ceremony over the better my engagement has hung fire rather there is always a kind of flatness about the thing between cousins i dare say neither of us is in a hurry mabel has so many ideas and occupations from orchids to greek choruses she is very clever said vixen she is clever and good and i am very proud of her answered rory loyally he felt as if he were walking on the brink of a precipice and that it needed all his care to steer clear of the edge after this there was no more said about lady mabel vixen and rory rode on happily side by side as wholly absorbed in each other as lancelot and guinevere when the knight brought the lady home through the smiling land in the glad boyhood of the year by tinkling rivulet and shadowy cover and twisted ivy and spreading chestnut fans and with no more thought of lady mabel than those two had of king arthur it was the first of many such rides in the fair June weather. Vixen and Rory were always meeting in that sweet pathless entanglement of oak and beech and holly, where the cattle line of the spreading branches were just high enough to clear Vixen's coquettish little hat, or in the long straight fir plantations where the light was darkened even at noonday, and where the slumberous stillness was broken only by the hum of summer flies." it was hardly possible it seemed to violet for two people to be always riding in the forest without meeting each other very often various as the paths are they all crossed somewhere and what more natural than to see rory's brown horse trotting calmly along the grass by the wayside at the first bend of the road they made no appointments or were not conscious of making any but they always met there was a fatality about it yet neither rory nor violet ever seemed surprised at this persistence of fate they were always glad to see each other they had always a world to tell each other if the earth had been newly made every day with a new set of beings to people it those two could hardly have had more to say darned if i can tell what our young miss and Mister vaudrey can find to talk about said honest old bates over his dish of tea in the servants hall but their tongues had never done wagging sometimes miss tempest and mr Vaudrey went to the kennels together and idled away an hour with the hounds while the horses stood at ease with their bridles looped around the five-barred gate their heads hanging lazily over the topmost bar and their big soft eyes dreamingly contemplating the opposite pine wood with that large capacity for perfect idleness common to their species bates was chewing a straw and swinging his hunting crop somewhere in attendance he went with his young mistress everywhere and played the part of the dragon of prudery placed within call but he was a very amiable dragon and nobody minded him had it come into the minds of rory and vixen to elope bates would not have barred their way indeed he would have been very glad to elope with them himself the restricted license of the Abbey House had no charm for him. Whither were those two drifting in the happy summer weather, lulled by the whisper of forest leaves faintly stirred by the soft south wind, or by the low murmur of the forest river, stealing on its stealthy course under overarching boughs, mysterious as that wondrous river in Kubla Khan's dream? and anon breaking suddenly out into a clamor loud enough to startle arian as the waters came leaping and brawling over the shining moss-green boulders where were these happy comrades going as they rode side by side under the glancing lights and wavering shadows everybody knows what became of lancelot and guinevere after that famous ride of theirs what of these two who rode together day after day in sun and shower who loitered and lingered in every loveliest nook in the forest who had the same tastes the same ideas the same loves the same dislikes neither dared ask that question they took the happiness fate gave them and sought not to lift the veil of the future each was utterly and unreasonably happy and each knew very well that this deep and entire happiness was to last no longer than the long summer days and the dangling balls of blossom on the beechen boughs before the new tufts on the fir branches had lost their early green this midsummer dream would be over it was to be brief as a schoolboys holiday what was the good of being so happy only to be so much more miserable afterwards a sensible young woman might have asked herself that question but violet tempest did not her intentions were pure as the innocent light shining out of her hazel eyes a gaze frank direct and fearless as a child's she had no idea of tempting roderick to be false to his vows had Lady Mabel with her orchids and greek plays been alone in question, Violet might have thought of the matter more lightly. But filial duty was involved in Rory's fidelity to his betrothed. He had promised his mother on her deathbed that was a promise not to be broken one day, a day forever to be remembered by Vixen and Rory. A day that stood out in the foreground of memory's picture awfully distinct from the dreamy happiness that went before it, these two old friends prolonged their ride even later than usual the weather was the loveliest that had ever blessed their journeyings the sky italian the west wind just fresh enough to fan their cheeks and faintly stir the green feathers of the ferns that grew breast-high on each side of the narrow track the earth gave forth her subtlest perfumes under the fire of the midsummer sun from Brodlewood, the distant heights and valleys had an alpine look in the clear bright air the woods rising line above line in the far distance in every shade of color from deepest umber to emerald green from the darkest purple to translucent azure yonder where the farthest line of vendure met the sunlit sky from stony cross the vast stretch of wood and more lay basking in the warm vivid light the yellow of the dwarf fears flashing in golden patches amidst the first bloom of the crimson heather the southern corner of hampshire was a glorious world to live in on such a day as this violet and her cavalier thought so as their horses cantered up and down the smooth stretch of turf in front of the forester's inn i don't know what has come to arian said vixen as she checked her eager horse in his endeavor to break into a mad gallop i think he must be what scotch people call fay and pray what may that mean asked rory who was like the young lady made famous by sydney smith what he did not know would have made a big book why i believe it means that in certain moments of life just before the coming of a great sorrow people are wildly gay sometimes a man who is doomed to die breaks out into uproarious mirth till his friends wonder at him haven't you noticed that sometimes in the accounts of suicides the suicide's friends declared that he was in excellent spirits the night before he blew out his brains then i hope i'm not fay said rory for i feel uncommonly jolly it's only the earth and sky that makes us feel happy sighed violet with a sudden touch of seriousness it is but an outside happiness after all perhaps not but it's very good of its kind they went far afield that day as far as the yews of slodden and the sun was low in the west when vixen wished her night good-bye and walked her horse down the last long glade that led to the abbey house she was very serious now and felt that she had transgressed a little by the length of her ride poor bates had gone without his dinner and that dismal yawn of his just now doubtless indicated a painful vacuity of the inner man rory and she were able to live upon air and sunshine the scent of the clover and the freshness of the earth but bates was of the lower type of humanity which requires to be sustained by beef and beer. and for bates this day of sylvan bliss had been perhaps a period of deprivation and suffering violet had been accustomed to be at home and freshly dressed in time for mrs Stanley's afternoon tea she had to listen to the accumulated gossip of the day complaints about the servants praises of conrad speculations upon impending changes of fashion which threatened to convulse the world over which theodore presided for the world of fashion seems ever on the verge of a crisis awful as that which periodically disrupts the french chamber to have been absent from afternoon tea was a breach of filial duty which the mild pamela would assuredly resent violet felt herself doomed to one of those gentle lectures which were worrying as the perpetual dropping of rain she was very late dreadfully late The dressing bell rang as she rode into the stable yard, not caring to show herself at the porch, lest her mother and the captain should be sitting in the hall, ready to pronounce judgment upon her misconduct. She ran quickly up to her dressing room, plunged her face into cold water, shook out her bright hair, brushed and plaited the long tresses with deft, swift fingers, put on her pretty dinner dress of pale blue muslin, fluttering all over with pale blue bows, and went smiling down to the drawing room like a new heb dressed in an azure cloud mrs winstanley was sitting by an open window while the captain stood outside and talked to her in a low confidential voice His face had a dark look which Vixen knew and hated, and his wife was listening with trouble in her air and countenance. Vixen, who meant to have marched straight up to her mother and made her apologies, drew back involuntarily at the sight of those two faces. Just at this moment, the dinner bell rang. The captain gave his wife his arm, and the two passed Vixen without a word. She followed them to the dining room, wondering what was coming. The dinner began in silence, and then Mrs. Wynn Stanley began to falter forth small remarks feeble as the twitterings of birds before the coming storm how very warm it had been all day almost oppressive, and yet it had been a remarkably fine day there was a fair at emory down at least not exactly a fair but a barrow of nuts and some horrid pistols in a swing violet answered as in duty bound but the captain maintained his ominous silence not a word was said about violet's long ride It seemed hardly necessary to apologize for her absence, since her mother made no complaint. Yet she felt that there was a storm coming. "'Perhaps he is going to sell Arian,' she thought. "'And that's why the dear thing was Faye. And then that rebellious spirit of hers arose within her, ready for war. "'No, I would not endure that. I would not part with my father's last gift.' i shall be rich seven years hence if i live so long i'll do what the young spendthrifts do i'll go to the jews i will not be captain winstanley's pellet one slave is enough for him i should think he has enslaved poor mamma look at her now poor soul she sits in bodily fear of him crumbling her bread with her pretty fingers shining and sparkling with rings poor mamma it is a bad day for her when fine dresses and handsome jewels cannot make her happy it was a miserable dinner those three were not wont to be gay when they sat at meat together but the dinner of to-day was of a gloomier pattern than usual the strawberries and cherries were carried round solemnly the captain filled his glass with claret mrs winstanley dipped the ends of her fingers into the turquoise-colored glass and disseminated a faint odor of roses i think i'll go and sit in the garden conrad she said "'when she had dried those tapering fingers on her fringe doily. "'It's so warm in the house.' "'Do, dear, I'll come and smoke my cigar on the lawn presently,' answered the captain. "'Can't you come at once, love? I've a little business to settle first. It won't be long.' Mrs. Winstanley kissed her hand to her husband and left the room, followed by Vixen. "'Violet,' she said, when they were outside. "'How could you stay out so long? Conrad is dreadfully angry.' your husband angry because i rode a few miles farther to-day than usual dear mother that is too absurd i was sorry not to be at home in time to give you your afternoon tea and i apologize to you with all my heart but what can it matter to captain winstanley my dearest violet when will you understand that conrad stands in the place of your dear father never mamma for that is not true God gave me one father, and I loved and honored him with all my heart. There is no sacrifice he could have asked of me that I would not have made. No command of his, however difficult, that I would not have obeyed. But I will obey no spurious father. I recognize no duty that I owe to Captain Winstanley. You are a very cruel girl, wailed Pamela, and your obstinacy is making my life miserable. "'Dear Mother, how do I interfere with your happiness? "'You live your life, and I mine. "'You and Captain Winstanley take your own way, I mine. "'It is a crime to be out riding a little longer than usual "'that you should look so pale "'and the Captain so black when I come home. "'It is worse than a crime, Violet. "'It is an impropriety.' "'Vixen blushed Crimson "'and turned upon her mother with an expression "'that was half startled, half indignant. "'What do you mean, Mama?' "'Had you been riding about the forest all those hours alone, "'it would have been eccentric, unladylike, masculine even. "'You know that your habit of passing half your existence on horseback "'has always been a grief to me, but you were not alone.' "'No, Mama, I was not alone. "'I had my oldest friend with me, "'one of the few people in this big world who care for me.' "'You were riding about with Roderick Vaudry, "'Lady Mabel Ashborne's future husband.' why do you remind me of his engagement mamma do you think that roderick and i have even forgotten it can he not be my friend as well as lady mabel's husband am i to forget that he and i played together as children that we have always thought of each other and cared for each other as brother and sister only because he is engaged to lady mabel ashbourne violet you must know that all talk about brother and sister is sheer nonsense Suppose I had set up brother and sister with Captain Winstanley. What would you, what would the world have thought? That would have been different, said Vixen. You did not know each other as babies. In fact, you couldn't have done so, for you had left off being a baby before he was born, added Vixen naively. You will have to put a stop to these rides with Roderick. Everybody in the neighborhood is talking about you. Which everybody? Colonel Carteret, to begin with. "'Colonel Carteret slanders everybody. It is his only intellectual resource. "'Dearest mother, be your own sweet, easy-tempered self, not a speaking tube for Captain Winstanley. "'Pray leave me my liberty. I am not particularly happy. You might at least let me be free.' "'Violet left her mother with these words. They had reached the lawn before the drawing-room windows.' mrs winstanley sank into a low basket chair like a hall porter's which a friend had sent her from the sands of Troville, and vixen ran off to the stables to see if arian was in any way the worst for his long round the horses had been littered down for the night and the stable yard was empty the faithful bates who was usually to be found at this hour smoking his evening pipe on a stone bench beside the stable pump was nowhere in sight bixen went into arian's loose box where that animal was nibbling clover lazily standing knee-deep in freshly spread straw his fine legs carefully bandaged he gave his mistress the usual grunt of friendly greeting allowed her to feed him with the choicest bits of clover and licked her hands in token of gratitude i don't think you're any the worse for our canter over the grass old pet she cried cheerily as she caressed his sleek head. And Captain Winstanley's black looks can't hurt you. As she left the stable, she saw Bates, who was walking slowly across the courtyard, wiping his honest old eyes with the cuff of her drab coat and hanging his grizzled head dejectedly. Vixen ran to him with her cheeks aflame, divining mischief. The captain had been wreaking his spite upon this lowly head what's the matter bates i've lived in this house miss violet man and boy forty year come michaelmas and i've never wronged my master by so much as the worth of a handful of what's or a carriage candle I was a stable boy in your grandfather's time, miss, as is well been known to you, and I remember your father when he was the finest and handsomest young squire within fifty mile. I've loved you and yours better than I ever loved my own flesh and blood, and to go and pluck me up by the roots and chuck me out amongst strangers in my old age is crueler than it would be to tear up the old cedar on the lawn, which I've heard Joe the gardener say be as old as the days when such-like Trees were fust benown in England. It's crueller, Miss Violet, for the cedar ain't got no feelings, but I feel it down to the deepest fibers in me. The lawn'd look ugly and empty without the cedar, and mayhap nobody'll miss me. But I've got the heart of a man, miss, and it bleeds poor Bates relieved his wounded feelings with this burst of eloquence. He was a man who, although silent in his normal condition, had a great deal to say when he felt aggrieved. In his present state of mind, his only solace was in many words. "'I don't know what you mean, Bates,' cried Vixen, very pale now, divining the truth in part, if not wholly. "'Don't cry, dear old fellow. It's too dreadful to see you. You don't mean—you can't mean that my mother has sent you away?' Not your ma, Miss, bless her heart. She wouldn't sack the servant that saddled her husband's horse, fair weather and foul for twenty years. No, Miss Violet, it's Captain Winstanley Stanley that's given me the sack. He's master here now, you know, Miss. But for what reason? What have you done to offend him? Ah, oh, Miss, there's the hardship of it. He's turned me off at a minute's notice, and without character too. That's hard, ain't it, Miss? Forty years and one service and to leave without a character at last. That do cut a old feller to the quick. Why don't you tell me the reason, Bates? Captain Winstanley must have given you his reason for such a cruel act. He did, miss, but I ain't going to tell you. Why not in goodness name? Because it's an insult to you, Miss Violet, and I'm not going to insult my old master's granddaughter. If I didn't love you for your own sake, and I do dearly love you, miss, if you'll excuse the liberty, I'm bound to love you for the sake of your grandfather. He was my first master and a kind one. He gave me my first pair of tops. Lord, miss, I can call to mind the day as well as if it was yesterday. Didn't I fancy myself a buckingham? Bates grinned and sparkled at the thought of those first top boots. His poor old eyes, dim with years of long service, twinkled with the memory of those departed vanities. Bates cried Vixen, looking at him resolutely i insist upon knowing what reason captain winstanley alleged for sending you away he didn't allege nothing miss and i ain't going to tell you what he said but you must i order you to tell me you are still my servant remember you have always been a faithful servant and i am sure you won't disobey me at the last i insist upon knowing what captain winstanley said however insulting his words may have been to me they will not surprise or wound me much "'There is no love lost between him and me. "'I think everybody knows that. "'Don't be afraid of giving me pain, Bates. "'Nothing the captain could say would do that. "'I despise him too much.' "'I'm right down glad of that, miss. "'Go on a despisin' of him. "'You can't give it to him as thick as he deserves.' "'Now, Bates, what did he say?' "'He said I was an old fool, miss, or an old rogue. "'He weren't quite clear in his mind which... I'd been actin' as go between with you and mister Vaudrey encouragin' of you to meet the young gentleman in your rides, and never givin' the captain warnin as your stepfather of what was going on behind his back. He said it was shameful, and you were making yourself the talk of the county, and I was no better than I should be for aidin' and abettin' of you and disgracin' yourself and then i blazed up a bit miss and maybe i cheeked him and then he turned upon me sharp and short and told me to get out of the house this night bag and baggage and never to apply to him for a character and then he counted out my wages on the table miss up to this evening exact to a halfpenny by way of showing me that he meant business perhaps but i came away and left his brass upon the table staring at him in the face I ain't no pauper, praise be to God. I've got a good place, and I've saved money, and I needn't lower myself by taking his dirty halfpence. And you're going away, Bates, tonight? exclaimed Vixen, hardly able to realize this calamity. That Captain Winstanley should have spoken insultingly of her and of Rory touched her but lightly. She had spoken truly just now when she said that she scorned him too much to be easily wounded by his insolence but that he should dismiss her father's old servant as he had sold her father's old horse that this good old man who had grown from boyhood to age under her ancestral roof who remembered her father in the bloom and glory of early youth, that this faithful servant should be thrust out at the bidding of an interloper, a paltry schemer who, in Vixen's estimation, had been actuated by the basest and most mercenary motives when he married her mother, that these things should be moved Violet Tempest with an overwhelming anger. She kept her passion under, so far as to speak very calmly to Bates. Her face was white with suppressed rage. Her great brown eyes shone with angry fire. Her lips quivered as she spoke, and the rings on one clenched hand were ground into the flesh of the slender fingers. Never mind, Bates, she said very gently. I'll get you a good place before ten o'clock tonight. Pack up your clothes and be ready to go where I tell you two hours hence. But first, saddle Arian. Bless your heart, Miss Violet. You're not going out riding this evening. Arian's done a long day's work. I know that, but he's fresh enough to do as much more. I've just been looking at him. Saddle him at once and keep him ready in his stable till I come for him. Don't argue, Bates. If I knew that I were going to ride him to death, I should ride him tonight all the same. You are dismissed without a character, are you? cried Vixen, laughing bitterly. Never mind, Bates. I'll give you a character. And I'll get you a place. She ran lightly off and was gone while Bates stood stock still wondering at her. There never was such a young lady. What was there in life that he would not have done for her were it to the shedding of blood and to think he was no more to serve and follow her no longer to jog contentedly through the pine scented forest watching the meteoric course of that graceful figure in front of him the lively young horse curbed by the light and dexterous hand the ruddy brown hair glittering in the sunlight the flexible form moving in unison with every motion of the horse that carried it there could be no deeper image of desolation in bates's mind than the idea that this rider and this horse were to be henceforth severed from his existence what had he in life save the familiar things and faces among which he had grown from youth to age separate him from these beloved surroundings and he had no standpoint in the universe the reason of his being would be gone bates was as strictly local in his ideas as the zoophyte which has clung all its life to one rock he went to the harness room for miss Tempest's well-worn saddle and brought arian out of his snug box and whisked him and combed him and blacked his shoes and made him altogether lovely a process to which the intelligent animal was inclined to take objection the hour being unseemly and unusual poor bates sighed over his task and brushed away more than one silent tear with the back of the dandy brush it was kind of miss violet to think about getting him a place but he had no heart for going into a new service he would rather have taken a room in one of the beechdale cottages and have dragged out the remnant of his days within sight of the chimney-stacks beneath which he had slept for forty years he had money in the bank that would last until his lees of life were split and then he would be buried in the churchyard he had crossed every sunday of his life on his way to morning service his kindred were all dead or distant the nearest a married niece settled at romsey which good old humdrum market-town was except once a week or so by carrier's cart almost as unapproachable as the bermudas "'He was not going to migrate to Romsey for the sake of a married niece "'when he could stop at Beechdale "'and see the gables and chimneys of the home "'from which stern fate had banished him. "'He had scarcely finished Arian's toilet "'when Miss Tempest opened the stable door "'and looked in ready to mount. "'She had her hunting crop "'with the strong horn-hook for opening gates, "'her short habit, and looked altogether ready for business. "'Hadn't I better come with you, Miss?' "'Bates asked as he lifted her into her saddle. "'No, Bates, you are dismissed, you know. "'It wouldn't do for you to take one "'of Captain Winstanley's horses. "'He might have you sent to prison for horse-stealing.' "'Lord, Miss, so he might,' said Bates, grinning. "'I reckon he's capable of it. "'But I cheeked him pretty strong, Miss Violet. "'The thought of that will always be a comfort to me. "'You wouldn't have known me for your father's old servant.' if you'd heard me. I felt as if Satan had got a hold of my tongue and was wagging it for me. The words came so pat. It seemed as if I'd got all the dictionary at the tip of my poor old tongue. Open the gate, said Vixen. I am going out by the wilderness. Bates opened the gate under the old brick archway and Vixen rode slowly away. By the unfrequented thickets of rhododendron and arbutus holly and laurel with a tall mountain ash or a stately deodora rising up among them here and there dark against the opal evening sky it was a lovely evening the crescent moon rode high above the tree-tops the sunset was still red in the west the secret depths of the wood gave forth their subtle perfume in the cool calm air the birds were singing in suppressed and secret tones among the low branches now and then a bat skimmed across the open glade and melted into the woodland darkness or a rabbit flitted past gray and ghost-like it was an hour when the woods assumed an awful beauty not to meet ghosts seemed stranger than to meet them The shadows of the dead would have been in harmony with the mystic loveliness of this green solitude, a world remote from the track of men. Even tonight, though her heart was swelling with indigent pain, Violet felt all the beauty of these familiar scenes. They were a part of her life, and so long as she lived, she must love and rejoice in them. Tonight, as she rode quietly along, careful not to hurry Arian, after his long day's work, she looked around with her eyes full of deep love and melancholy yearning. It seemed to her tonight that out of all that had been sweet and lovely in her life, only these four scenes remained humanity had not been kind to her the dear father had been snatched away just when she had grown to the height of his stout heart and had fullest comprehension of his love and greatest need of his protection her mother was a gentle smiling puppet to whom it were vain to appeal in her necessities her mother's husband was an implacable enemy rory the friend of her childhood who might have been so much had given himself to another She was quite alone. The charcoal burner in Mark Ash is not so solitary as I am, thought Vixen bitterly. Charcoal burning is only part of his life. He has his wife and children in his cottage at home. By and by, she came out of the winding forest ways into the street high road that led to Briarwood, and now she put her horse at a smart trot, for it was growing dark already, and she calculated that it must be nearly eleven o'clock before she could accomplish what she had to do and get back to the Abbey house, and at eleven, doors were locked for the night, and Captain Winstanley made a circuit of inspection as severely as the keeper of a prison what would be said if she should not get home till after the gates were locked and the keys delivered over to that stern janitor at last briarwood came in sight above the dark clumps of beech and oak a white portico shining lamplit windows the lodge gate stood hospitably open and violet rode in without question and up to the pillared porch roderick vaudrey was standing in the porch smoking he threw away his cigar as vixen rode up and ran down the steps to receive her why violet what has happened he asked with an alarmed look it seemed to him that only sudden death or dire calamity could bring her to him thus in this late gloaming pale and deeply moved her lips trembled faintly as she looked at him and for the moment she could find no words to tell her trouble what is it violet he asked again holding her gloved hand in his and looking up at her, full of sympathy and concern. Not very much, perhaps, in your idea of things, but it seems a great deal to me, and it has put me into a tremendous passion. I have come to ask you to do me a favor, a thousand favors if you like, and when they are all granted, the the obligation shall be still on my side. But come into the drawing room and rest, and let me get you some tea, lemonade, wine, something to refresh you after your long ride nothing thanks i am not going to get off my horse i must not lose a moment why it must be long after nine already and captain Winstanley stanley locks up the house at eleven rory did not care to tell her that it was on the stroke of ten he called in a senatorian voice for a servant and told the man to get blue peter saddled that instant where's your groom violet He asked wondering to see her unattended i have no groom that's just what i came to tell you captain winstanley has dismissed bates at a minute's warning without a character dismissed old bates your father's faithful servant but in heaven's name what for I would rather not tell you that. The alleged reason is an insult to me. I can tell you that it is not for dishonesty or lying or drunkenness or insolence or any act that a good servant need be ashamed of. The poor old man is cast off for a fault of mine or for an act of mine, which Captain Stanley pleases to condemn. He is thrust out of doors, homeless without a character, after 40 years of faithful service. He was with my grandfather you know. Now, Rory, I want you to take Bates into your service. He is not so ornamental as a young man, perhaps, but he is ever so much more useful. He is faithful and industrious, honest and true. He is a capital nurse for sick horses, and I have heard my dear father say that he knows more than the common run of veterinary surgeons. I don't think you would find him an encumbrance. Now, dear Rory, she concluded coaxingly, with innocent childish entreaty, almost as if they had still been children and playfellows. I want you to do this for me. I want you to take Bates. Why, you dear, simple-minded baby, I would take a regiment of Bateses for your sake. Why, this is not a favor. Tis as I should entreat you, wear your gloves, cried Vixen, quoting Desdemona's speech to her general. Rory's ready promise had revived her spirit. She felt that, after all, there was such a thing as friendship in the world. Life was not altogether blank and dreary. She forgot that her old friend had given himself away to another woman. She had a knack of forgetting that little fact when she and Rory were together. It was only in her hours of solitude that the circumstance presented itself distinctly to her mind i am so grateful to you for this rory she cried i cannot tell you what a load you have taken off my mind i felt sure you would do me this favor and yet if you had said no it would have been too dreadful to think of poor old bates loafing about beechdale living upon his savings i shall be able to pension him by and by when i am of age but now i have only a few pounds in the world the remains of a quarter's pocket money according to the view and allowance of the forester added vixen quoting the forest law with a little mocking laugh and now good night i must go home as fast as i can so you must but i am coming with you answered rory and then he roared again in his senatorian voice in the direction of the stables where's that blue peter indeed there is no reason for you to come cried vixen i know every inch of the forest very likely but i am coming with you all the same a groom led out blue peter a strong useful looking hack which mr vaudry kept to do his dirty work hunting in bad weather night work and extra journeys of all kinds roy was in the saddle and by vixen's side without a minute's lost time and they were riding out of the grounds into the straight road they rode for a considerable time in silence. Vixen had seldom seen her old friends so thoughtful. The night deepened. The stars shone out of the clever heaven at first one by one, and then suddenly in a multitude that no tongue could number. The leaves whispered and rustled with faint mysterious noises as Violet and her companion rode slowly down the long steep hill what a beast that Win Stanley is said rory when they got to the bottom of the hill as if he had been all this time arriving at an opinion about violet's stepfather i'm afraid he must make your life miserable he doesn't make it particularly happy answered vixen quietly but i never expected to be happy after mamma married i did not think there was much happiness left for me after my father's death but there was at least peace captain winstanley has made an end of that he is a wretch and i should like to shoot him said rory vindictively dear little vixen yes i must call you by the old pet name to think that you should be miserable you whom i remember so bright and happy "'You, who were born for happiness.' "'But you are not always wretched, dear,' he said, "'leaning over to speak to her in closer, more confidential tones, "'as if the sleepy birds and the whispering forest leaves "'could hear and betray him. "'You were happy. "'We were happy this morning.' "'He had laid his hand on hers. "'That useful blue Peter needed no guidance.' They were just leaving the road and entering a long glade that led through a newly opened fir plantation a straight ride of a mile and a half or so the young moon was gleaming cool and clear above the feathering points of the firs yes she answered recklessly involuntarily with a stifled sob i am always happy with you you are all that remains to me of my old life my dearest my loveliest then be happy for ever he cried winding his arm around her slim waist and leaning over her till his head almost rested on her shoulder their horses were close together walking at a foot-pace blue peter in no wise disconcerted by this extraordinary behaviour of his rider my love "'If you can be happy at so small a price, be happy always,' said Rory, his lips close to the girl's pale cheek, his arm feeling every beat of the passionate heart. I will break the toils that bind me. I will be yours and yours only. I have never truly loved anyone but you, and I have loved you all my life. I never knew how dearly till of late.' no dearest love never did i know how utterly i loved you till these last summer days which we have lived together alone and supremely happy in the forest that is our native land my violet i will break with mabel tomorrow. she and i were never made for one another you and i were yes love yes we have grown up together side by side like the primroses and violets in the woods it is my second nature to love you why should we be parted why should i go on acting a dismal farce pretending love to mabel pretending a friendship to you alike false to both there is no reason violet none except except your promise to your dying mother said violet escaping from his arm and looking at him steadily bravely through the dim light you shall not break that for my sake you ought not were i ten times a better woman than i am no rory you are to do your duty and keep your word you are to marry lady mabel and be happy ever after like the prince in a fairy tale depend on it happiness always comes in the long run to the man who does his duty i don't believe it cried roderick passionately i have seen men who have done right all their life men who have sacrificed feeling to honor and been miserable why should i imitate them i love you i loved you always but my mother worried and teased me vaunting mabel's perfections trying to lessen you in my esteem and then when she was dying and it seemed a hard thing to oppose her wishes or to refuse her anything were it even the happiness of my life i was weak and let myself be persuaded and sold myself into bondage but it is not too late violet "'I will write Mabel an honest letter tomorrow "'and tell her the truth for the first time in my life.' "'You will do nothing of the kind,' cried Violet resolutely. "'What, do you think I have no pride, no sense of honor?' Do you think I would let it be said of me that I, knowing you to be engaged to your cousin, set myself to lure you away from her, that we rode together and were seen together, happy in each other's company, and as careless of slander as if we had been brother and sister, and that the end of all was that you broke your faith to your promised wife in order to marry me? no rory that shall never be said if i could stoop so low i should be worthy of the worst word my mother's husband could say of me what does it matter what people say your mother's husband above all malice can always find something evil to say of us let us shape our lives how we may what really matters is that we should be happy and i can be happy with no one but you violet i know that now i will never marry mabel ashbourne and you will never marry me answered vixen giving arian a light touch of her whip which sent him flying along the shadowy ride blue peter followed as swiftly rory was by violet's side again in a minute with his hand grasping hers you mean that you don't love me he exclaimed angrily why could you not have said so at the first why have you let me live in a fool's paradise the paradise was of your own making she answered I love you a little for the past because my father loved you, because you are all that remains to me of my happy childhood. Yes, if it were not for you, I might look back and think those dear old days were only a dream. But I hear your voice. I look at you and know that you are real and that I once was very happy. Yes, Rory, I do love you love you yes with all my heart dearer better than i have ever loved any one upon this earth since my father was laid in the ground yes dear their horses were walking slowly now and her hand was locked in his as they rode side by side yes dear i love you too well and you and i must part i had schooled myself to believe that i loved you only as i might have loved a brother "'That you could be Lady Mabel's husband and my true friend. "'But that was a delusion that can never be. "'You and I must part, Rory. "'This night ride in the forest must be our last. "'Never any more. by sun or moon, must you and I grind together. "'It is all over, Rory, the old childish friendship. "'I mean to do my duty, and you must do yours. "'I will never marry a woman I do not love. "'You will keep your promise to your mother.' You will act as a man of honor should. Think, Rory, what a shameful thing it would be to do. To break off an engagement which has been so long publicly known. To wound and grieve your good aunt and uncle. They have been very kind to me, sighed Rory. It would hurt me to give them pain. His conscience told him she was right. But he was angry with her for being so much wiser than himself. Then, in a moment, love that had slumbered long idly happy in the company of the beloved and had suddenly awakened to know that this summer-day idylless meant a passion stronger than death love got the better of conscience and he cried vehemently what need i care for the duke and duchess they can have their choice of husbands for their daughter an heiress like mabel has only to smile and a man is at her feet why should I sacrifice myself, love, truth, all that makes life worth having? Do you think I would do it for the sake of Ashbourne, in the honor of being a Duke's son-in-law? No, Rory, but for the sake of your promise. And now look, there is Lyndhurst steeple above the woods. I am near home, and we must say goodnight. Not till you are at your own gate no one must see you i want to ride in quietly by the stables don't think i am ashamed of my errand tonight. i am not but i want to save my mother trouble and if captain winstanley and i were to discuss the matter there would be a disturbance roderick foddery seized Arian by the bridle i shall not let you go so easily he said resolutely vixen i have loved you ever since i can remember you will you be my wife no Why did you say that you loved me? Because I cannot tell a lie. Yes, I love you, Rory, but I love your honor in my own better than the chance of a happiness that might fade and wither before we could grasp it. I know that your mother had a very poor opinion of me while she was alive. I should like her to know, if the dead know anything, that she was mistaken and that I am not quite unworthy of her respect you will marry lady mabel ashbourne rory and ten years hence when we are sober middle-aged people we shall be firm friends once again and you will thank and praise me for having counselled you to cleave to the right let go the bridle rory there's no time to lose there's a glorious gallop from queen's bower to the christchurch road it was a long grassy ride safe only for those who knew the country well, for it was bordered on each side by treacherous bogs. Violet knew every inch of the way. Arian scented his stable afar off and went like the wind. Blue Peter stretched his muscular limbs in pursuit. It was a wild ride along the grassy track, beside watery marshes and reedy pools that gleamed in the dim light of a new moon. The distant woods showed black against the sky there was no light to mark a human habitation within ken there was nothing but night and loneliness and the solemn beauty of an unpeopled waste a forest pony stood here and there pastern deep in the sedges and gazed at those two wild riders grave and gay like a ghost a silvery snake glided across the track a water rat plunged with a heavy splash into a black pool as the horses galloped by It was a glorious ride miserable as both riders were, they could not but enjoy that wild rush through the sweet soft air under the silent stars. Vixen gave a long sigh presently when they pulled up their horses on the hard road. I think I am fay now, she said. I wonder what is going to happen to me. Whatever misfortunes come to you henceforth will be your own fault, protested Rory savagely. You won't be happy, or make me so. "'Don't be angry with me, Rory,' she answered quite meekly. "'I would rather be miserable in my own way than happy in yours.' "'Arian, having galloped for his own pleasure, would now have liked to crawl. "'He was beginning to feel the effects of unusual toil, and hung his head despondently, "'but Vixen urged him into a sharp trot, feeling that matters were growing desperate. Ten minutes later they were at the lodge leading to the stables. "'The gate was locked, the cottage wrapped in darkness.' I must go in by the carriage drive, said Vixen. It's rather a bore, as I am pretty sure to meet Captain Winstanley, but it can't be helped. Let me go in with you. No, Rory, that would do no good. If he insulted me before you, his insolence would pain me, and I believe I should pain him, said Rory. I should give him the sweetest horse whipping he ever had in his life. That is to say, you would bring disgrace upon me and make my mother miserable. That's a man's idea of kindness. No, Rory, we part here. Good night and goodbye. Fiddlesticks, cried Rory. I shall wait for you all tomorrow morning at the kennels. Vixen had ridden past the open gate. The launch keeper stood at his door waiting for her. Roderick respected her wishes and stayed outside. Good night. She cried again, looking back at him. Bates shall come to you tomorrow morning. The hall door was wide open, and Captain Winstanley stood on the threshold waiting for his stepdaughter. One of the underlings from the stable was ready to take her horse. She dismounted unaided, flung the reins to the groom, and walked up to the captain with her firmest step. When she was in the hall, he shut the door and bolted and locked it with a somewhat ostentatious care she seemed to breathe less freely when that great door had shut out the cool night she felt as if she were in a jail i should like half a dozen words with you in the drawing-room before you go upstairs captain Winstanley said stiffly a hundred if you choose answered vixen with supreme coolness she was utterly fearless what risks or hazards had life that she need dread she hoped nothing, feared nothing. She had just made the greatest sacrifice that fate could require of her. She had rejected the man she fondly loved. What were the slings and arrows of her stepfather's petty malice compared with such a wretch as that? She followed Captain Win Stanley to the drawing room. Here there was more air. One long window was open and the lace curtains were faintly stirred by the night winds. A large moderator lamp burned upon Mrs. Winstanley's favorite table. Her books and basket of cruels were there, but the lady of the house had retired. My mother has gone to bed, I suppose, inquired Vixen. She has gone to her room, but I fear she is too much agitated to get any rest. I would not allow her to wait here any longer for you. Is it so very late? asked Vixen with the most innocent air her heart was beating violently and her temper was not at its best she stood looking at the captain with a mischievous sparkle in her eyes and her whip tightly clenched she was thinking of that speech of rory's about the sweetest horsewhipping she wondered whether captain winstanley had ever been horsewhipped whether that kind of chastisement was numbered in the sum of his experiences she opened a knot the captain was too astute a man to bring himself in the way of such punishment he would do things that deserved horsewhipping and get off scot-free. It is a quarter past eleven. I don't know whether you think that a respectable hour for a young lady's evening ride. May I ask the motive of this nocturnal expedition? Certainly. You've deprived Bates of a comfortable place. He has only been in this situation forty years, and I went to get him another. I am happy to say that I succeeded... And pray, who is this chivalrous employer willing to receive my dismissed servant without a character? A very old friend of my father's, Mr. Vaudry. I thought as much, retorted the captain, and it is to Mr. Vaudry you have been late at night unattended. It is your fault that I went unattended you have taken upon yourself to dismiss my groom the man who broke my first pony the man my father gave me for an attendant and protector just as he gave me my horse you will take upon yourself to sell my horse next i suppose i shall take a great deal more upon myself before you and i have done with each other miss tempest answered the captain pale with passion never had vixen seen him so strongly moved the purple veins stood out darkly upon his pale forehead his eyes had a haggard look he was like a man consumed inwardly by some evil passion that was stronger than himself like a man possessed by devils vixen looked at him with wonder they stood facing each other with the lamp-lit table between them the light shining on both their faces why do you look at me with that provoking smile he asked do you want to exasperate me you must know that i hate you i do answered vixen but god only knows why you should do so do you know no reason no can't you guess one no unless it is because my father's fortune will belong to me by and by if i live to be five and twenty and your position here will be lessened that is not the reason no i am not so base of that that is not why i hate you violet "'If you had been some dumpy, homely, country lass with thick features and a clumsy figure, you and I might have got on decently enough. I would have made you obey me, but I would have been kind to you. But you are something very different. You are the girl I would have periled my soul to win, the girl who rejected me with careless scorn. Have you forgotten that night in the pavilion garden at Brighton? I have not.' I never look up at the stars without remembering it, and I can never forgive you while that memory lives in my mind. If you had been my wife, Violet, I would have been your slave. You forced me to make myself your stepfather, and I will be master instead of slave. I will make your life bitter to you if you thwart me. I will put a stop to your running after another woman's sweetheart. I will come between you and your lover, Roderick Vaudrey. Your secret meetings, your clandestine love-making shall be stopped. Such conduct as you have been carrying on of late is a shame and disgrace to your sex. How dare you say that, cried Vixen beside herself with anger. She grasped the lamp with both her hands as if she would have hurled it at her foe. It was a large moon-shaped globe upon a bronze pedestal a fearful thing to fling at one's adversary a great wave of blood surged up into the girl's brain what she was going to do she knew not but her whole being was convulsed by the passion of that moment the room reeled before her eyes the heavy pedestal swayed in her hands and then she saw the big moonlight globe roll onto the carpet and after it and darting beyond it a stream of liquid fire that ran and ran quicker than thought towards the open window before she could speak or move the flame had run up the lace curtain like a living thing swift as the flight of a bird or the gliding motion of a lizard the wide casement was wreathed with light They, too, Vixen and her foe, seemed to be standing in an atmosphere of fire. Captain Woodstanley was confounded by the suddenness of the catastrophe. While he stood dumb, bewildered, Vixen sprang through the narrow space between the flaming curtains as if she had plunged into a gulf of fire. He heard her strong, clear voice calling to the stablemen and gardeners. It rang like a clarion in the still summer night. There was not a lost moment. The stableman rushed with pails of water, and directly after them the scotch gardener with his garden engine, which held several gallons. His hose did some damage to the drawing-room carpet and upholstery, but the strong jet of water speedily quenched the flames. In ten minutes, the window stood blank and black and bare, with Vixen standing on the lawn outside contemplating the damage she had done. Mrs. Winstanley rushed in at the drawing room door, ghostlike in her white peignoir, pale and scared. "Oh, Conrad, what has happened?" she cried distractedly, just able to distinguish her husband's figure standing in the midst of the disordered room. "Your beautiful daughter has been trying to set the house on fire," he answered. "That is all." End of volume 2, chapter 15. Recording by Candace Stellick, Dallas, Texas.